Welcome to the High at Nine News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah, everybody. Happy Monday. Thanks for joining to not only get high at nine with us yet again, but also high noon on the East Coast. I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street. And I'd first like to give a big rest in peace and uh, love out to the streets for the death of Keenan Anderson, tased to death seven times by LAPD last week. May his family find peace and may they get the justice that they deserve. It is Monday, January 16, 2023, Nationals without a scalpel day because 30 million Americans still don't have health insurance. National Religious Freedom Day, a reminder that you're free to pray to whomever you believe's in charge, but America bows only to the almighty dollar. And if you ain't a Christian, good luck. And finally, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a federal observance of the clergyman, activist, radical civil rights movement pacifist who was taken out by his own government for speaking out against oppression of its people. For everybody out there watching, please remember to like, share, follow us at High at Nine News across all social media platforms and beat that subscribe button down. We're live on Wednesday, on weekdays on YouTube and Twitch, audio only on Clubhouse. And if you choose the Clubhouse route, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story presented. And we're going to be getting things started here in just a few seconds. But first, we have this. Oh, yeah, y'all know what time it is. Coming up first to the motherfucking mic is the man, the myth, the legend. Some call him Kaiser Brose when you're out here on the West Coast. If you're out there on the East Coast, you might be called either Gucci Blanco down in Florida, or it might be White Gucci if you're up in Detroit. But when he is in his downtime and not caught up by TMZ relaying messages of freedom to Donald Trump, while he's sitting adjacent to him in a tanning booth. You can catch him here on High at Nine News as my co-host is Jason Beck. What do you have for us today? The longest continuously operating retailer in the world. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. Thank you so much for that. I hope everybody had a great weekend and happy MLK Day to everybody out there. But today, my story is a timely one. 
because as Missouri rolls out legal weed, regulators create a new role. That's right. Chief Marijuana Equity Officer. The position will oversee the equity measure that legalization campaign supporters boast to be the first of its kind in the nation, a micro license program designed to boost opportunities in the marijuana industry for businesses in disadvantaged communities. The constitutional amendment legalizing adult use cannabis in Missouri won voter approval in November, but created a scheme among social justice activists over the question of racial and economic equity. Some believe the new law will empower minority marijuana businesses, business owners, while others worry it will cement an already distrusted and equitable business licensing system in place. Much rides on who was selected for chief equity officer by the Department of Health and Human Services, the state agency tasked with overseeing the marijuana program. By law, the state must have a chief equity officer for its marijuana program in place by February 6th, a position meant to ensure the social and economic equality requirements of Missouri's new marijuana law are met. A DHSS spokesperson said the department will be announcing their chief equity officer soon. Missouri's Amendment 3 laid out specific deadlines for expungement provisions, but courts and legal advocates say there are still unanswered questions about how exactly the process will work. The department posted the, the position on the state's job listing website, Missouri Careers, from November 29th through December 9th, according to Lisa Cox with DHSS spokes, spokeswoman. And she says, our position, our positions uh, post for 10 days externally and internally, Cox said. Our jobs are usually picked up and advertised in LinkedIn and Indeed as well. We are working through the process and an announcement will be coming soon, she says. According to the job posting, the chief equity officer is described as a leadership position within Missouri's Division of Cannabis Regulation. The officer will report directly to the division director and will exercise significant independence while also working closely with other teams within the division, the job posting states. The chief equity officer will oversee the equity measure that legalization campaign supporters boast to be the first of its kind in the nation, a micro license program designed to, to boost opportunities in the industry for businesses in disadvantaged communities. The, the officer's responsibilities include leading communication about the program and conducting reviews to certify micro businesses are eligible applicants and are in good standing for licensure. That person will also create and promote educational programming around the licensing processes and available support and resources for individuals applying for micro-business licenses. The officer will establish targeted technical assistance programs to communities impacted by cannabis prohibition and complete an annual report on compliance. Uh, Addo Lupus Pruitt president of the St. Louis City NAACP chapter, was among those who pushed for the creation of a social equity officer position as part of the legalization campaign. The NAACP sent out notices about the position, but Pruitt said he was unsure about how many people applied. Among the officer's most important responsibilities, Pruitt said, is contributing to an annual report that provides aggregate data for each contributing each con contributing to an annual report that, oh, excuse me, an aggregate data for each type of license. This could be the path forward for minority inclusion goals for Missouri's marijuana 
industry, he said. The report should include demographic characteristics of business owners, Pruitt says, and their employees, which would put the state one step closer towards weighing racial diversity in the license application process. But in order for Missouri to to stave off the court challenges often by white-owned businesses against such a move, the state must conduct a disparity study, Pruitt said. The aggregate data would serve the same purpose as the disparity study. Without having data, there ain't much we can do, Pruitt told the Independent in November. If the state enacts minority participation goals without data, they, they will sue and we will lose. We've been down that road before, they said. Well, I mean, that's pretty much the story right there. I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say about this. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the High at Nine News Hour. Is this going to be the key that other municipalities are need are going to need to employ? And will New Jersey and New York get in a Twitter war with this Missouri officer? What do you think? Yeah. Um, my initial thoughts are, I think it's important to have someone in a role like this, um, However, again, and I say this every single time social equity comes up, until there is like a true definition that we can all agree, like what social equity means, I think that person, whoever winds up in this role, is going to find themselves up against tons of challenges and tons of opposition just because of that simple fact that the definition is so wide and yet so specific at the same time. So I don't know. Good luck, whoever that is. I wouldn't want that job. <clears throat> yeah, I think this appointment is uh, is more uh, more symbolic than anything else, and uh, we'll see if they have any power uh, at all. And I think it's peculiar that they chose oh. the same acronym, they chose CEO uh, as well. <laughs> as well, you could think of something else. Put those right. letters in a different order or something. I, I don't know. I, I wonder if um if Cat Packer applied for this job. <laughs> Because she has uh, she has all the the clout in Missouri, as much I mean, as she did out here. Yeah, and she, and she'll be able to use the the LA system as a part of her part of her job application. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I, I did I this over yeah. here. I mean, judging from my last conversation with Kat, I don't think she's willing to uh, hop into the uh, political arena quite in that capacity anytime soon. I mean, I do think that it would be very important for someone who perhaps either has owned or is applying for or connected to some kind of cannabis business. It has to be a cannabis operator who jumps into yeah. these roles. Well, you don't Whether think it could be a policy person? Current, what? You don't think it could be, you don't think it could be a policy person? I a, definitely a don't think it could be a policy person. Really? It has to be someone who's been in the trenches. It has to be yep. someone who's been affected by this. It has to be someone who speaks the language of this plant. Right on. We don't, we just completely miss the mark again in this role. So, I hope whoever is hiring for this gets to see this show. We should make sure we send them a clip of this show. Right on. I'm so glad <laughs> you I think, said that. I think my buddy Epen would be a perfect person for this position. He's out there in Missouri and he is uh part of more more in the regulatory, you know, lobbying type of type of uh framework. I don't know, Gretchen, do you know Epen? I do not. Okay. There are a ton of California operators or former operators, folks who did not choose to renew their licenses this year because of the regulatory system in California, who would probably be spectacular for this role. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I echo your sentiments uh, there, Mandy. I think it needs to be somebody that's actually been in the trenches. And also, um, somebody who has uh, fought those wars and uh, has been through a little bit of something that'll be effective. And I think that's um, one of the issues uh, that happened out here, you know, uh, with Cat Packer. Like, I, a lot of people love her. Some people hate her. Uh, but she did not have the um, uh, necessary experience uh, to really, really know what it's like to, uh, to, uh, to be in the trenches and to run a business. And uh, she was hampered from the beginning uh, because of that and ended up being a scapegoat for a lot of the government's in, uh, inherent issues. So That, that, that I, poses I, a whole other question. Well, go ahead. Yeah. I, disagree. I disagree with this premise that it, it can't be a policy person. I mean, frankly, you guys talk about needing someone in the trenches. You need someone who can actually navigate policy, mm -hmm. navigate the regulatory system to get something accomplished. Nothing's been, but nothing's been accomplished. I mean, that doesn't by, by mean people. that people who work in the industry yeah. aren't capable of doing that. We've I've been doing that for a decade. So as Jason's been doing it for two, you know that. I yeah, think but you guys aren't applying for this job. Anyone, anyone who's a policymaker has had plenty of opportunity to affect our industry for. And they have not done it. I wonder what what is this position pay? Actually, know what it's like to operate a business in this space. Step up and get put in these roles. Period. Like yeah, have another wonder, legislator who's only done. I'm not, I'm not saying legislator. I didn't say legislator. Well, I'm just saying anybody, a policy person, anybody. I'm saying a policy person who knows the in and outs and the bullshit of what ha you have to do to actually get things passed, where the money is, how to make the government work for you. It's one thing yes. to have ideas to understand. I think, frankly, what you need in these types of roles are two people. You do need someone from mm. industry who helps. And then you need someone who's actually been in government to work together. It drives me nuts that we're trying to find this chupacabra person to fix the entire fucking industry. They don't exist. The chupacabra. Okay. How, how, about, how about this? How about I feel this like person? I'm more I, like I a heaven like angel, not a chupacabra. <laughs> the chupacabra. I actually, I actually do like that, uh, that addition to the, to the statement, Gretchen, but I would add a third person there because three is always better than two. I no. mean... Uh, maybe... So, no, well, how about... <laughs> and then you need a tiebreaker in there too. Is this, is this person going to be destined to fail? Do you think? Do you think that the system is just set up? Yes, for I them think, to ultimately fail. Yes, no matter who yeah. it is. Yes, I, I think it's hard to create these roles being created by someone who, when we can't even define social equity or we have not no right. good models for what this is or what it should be. Yeah, I, I think, think there are actually some really good models out there. There's a lot of folks who do have policy experience that are also social equity qualified by their local munis municipalities or states. Um, there is a lot. It's a mat but the problem is, is those folks, those people who have both skill sets, are incredibly busy. Um, Christine De La Rosa from the People's Ecosystem, she is on the NCIA Board of Directors and has written a white paper about what social equity really should be like. It's dynamic. It's, it's, it's well said. I mean, literally anybody who's creating a social equity platform in their municipality should read this white paper at the very least. It is a it is a community conversation to be had, but um, just like you said, Mandy, it, I personally believe that it, it should be coming from somebody who's been in in the struggle. Yes. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for entertaining uh, that, that story. We're going to keep it moving right along. Up Coming up next, we have the dope dad himself. That's right. Rico Lameet. When Rico is not babysitting, cooking breakfast, making eggs and bacon and sausage and pork patties. You can find him <laughs> well, that's a swine. feeding 
grown ass adults at a TEDx convention, feeding them all kinds of rhetoric and bullshit all from the stage and their little minds just devour it so well. That's right. It is the dope dad himself, Rico Lameet. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you uh, for that uh, illustrious, another illustrious introduction, Jason. Uh, my headline today is from uh, by Stephen M. Lepore for DailyMail.com. DC retiree 76 launches landmark lawsuit against the city over 73-year-old neighbor's weed smoke, which she claims is contaminating her home and ruining her life. <laughs> <laughs> 76-year-old Josefa Ippolito Shepherds finding out the hard way the only way to kill a roach in a D.C. apartment complex is to go full DEFCON K and sue the pothead neighbor and the whole goddamn city because the marijuana smokes invaded your home and it's ruining your life. Per the article, Ippolito Shepherds suing the District of Columbia over the smell of uh, smell coming from neighbor Thomas Cackett, 73-year-old. Uh, which says, uh, which she says made it hard for her to breathe, sleep, and live. I have the right to breathe fresh air into my home, Ibelito Shepard said. I'm not talking about if I go to someone else's house or place people go to smoke pot. Uh, they have the freedom to do whatever. I just do not want to be invaded in my own home. She claims to have lived there at the complex for 30 years, will never move, and is asking the city to ban smoking in multi-unit buildings. Uh, Cackett and his roommate, Angela, I should say roommate, <laughs> Angela Farsaratu, uh, who went, uh, who both rent an accessory apartment in the, in the unit and both say the sweet sesamina smell is not their fault and its effects are not their responsibility. The article says Ipilito Shepard is acting as her own attorney and says she's prepared to take the case to the highest court necessary. She believes the smoke got in through the cracks in her stairs behind a web of pipes under her kitchen sink and asked the landlord to evict Cackett and tell him to stop smoking inside. Both the city and landlord responded respectfully, telling her to kick rocks. Cannabis consumption has been legalized in D.C. since 2015, so she doesn't have a clear path for the complaint. Washington, D.C. City Council Chairman Phil Mendelson said the only way to fix the problem would be to ban the substance. And Ibelito Shepard, respecting the power of cannabis sativa L as being well beyond her comprehension and reach, said that she said that is not her end goal. D.C. legalized medical cannabis in 2010 and recreational consumption in 2015. And surprisingly, the lawsuit's first of its kind. But the smell of cigarettes in similar cases set precedent uh, set precedent and may provide a path forward. Indeed. For Queen Karen's complaint, the Daily Mail references in 1976, the state of New Jersey's Superior Court ruled in favor of an office worker who sued her employees for letting co-workers smoke at their desks. And hundreds of lawsuits have followed over tobacco. But with cannabis law still in its infancy, the issue on how far this complaint will go remains cloudy. Ippolito Shepard's trial begins this week in Cackett, who's too busy enjoying his freedom to light up living room L's is yet to comment publicly on the suit. Farsaratu, his roommate, uh, on the other hand, said that she felt sorry for Ippolito Shepard probably before taking a few more hits to better drive the message home. Well, I, 
obviously side 100% with the defendants in this situation. I can definitely see how this could be an issue uh, going forward in apartment complexes. And if it were me with a small child in the same situation, I'd probably be pissed off too. Uh, however, even Little Shepherd's old enough to understand how gentrification works. And if she don't like the turn for worse, her beloved inner city's taken, she's absolutely free to take her talents across the state border into Karen-friendly confines of Loudoun Cal- County, where I'm sure she'll feel her life less ruined. I'm Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street for Hyatt Nine News. What do y'all think about this one? I, I just mean, can't I can't imagine anybody's life being ruined <laughs> by this. But I mean, I mean, I, I dealt with this firsthand because I have one of these ladies as a neighbor, and and <laughs> I am not allowed to smoke in my apartment now, or in my condo, and I am subject to a five hundred dollar fine by the HOA anytime. I'm caught smoking inside my unit. Really? However, they cannot stop me from dabbing because that is considered vaporization. Yep. And this is all because of the Clean Air Act and everyone's and the Cal- state of California saying that cannabis is a known carcinogen. And so, therefore, I think ultimately the defendant is probably going to lose this case. So, but, is it, go ahead. I'm just going to say, is it, is it legal for you to vape? Indoors. Yeah, they, they, yes, because it's no yeah. smoke. The whole thing is is about carcinogens. So, so I could hit a vape pen. I could dab. I could, uh, you yeah, know, well, any any of these other things. But the reality of it is, this is for my medical condition. Smoking is the only thing that helps me. Vaping doesn't doesn't do it. And so, therefore, I'm treated like a third class citizen. And it's like, and I have to walk by these people's houses every day, and I smell the food that they're making, and it literally makes me want to puke when you smell <laughs> the shit that they cook. Jason and hates so, food. I, I hate their food. <laughs> and so I'm just like, this is oh, this is ridiculous. And I want there. I want to I want to file the same suit because they're basically saying that it's because of the smell, which is all about terpenes. And so therefore, um, those food terps that they produce, I think, should be banned from the building, too, because it hampers my quality of life. What if you were to cook with weed, Jason? I thought about doing that just That's to piss time. them all off. I thought about <laughs> doing that, but then I'm going to have to learn how to cook. No, just get, just get a food, uh, a pressure cooker and a whole bunch of trim and put it in there. It'll smell oh, fine. Dude. I mean, I have I have a crock pot. I'm totally fine with like making some butter and just like making butter for people. Yes, we do have Dr. Felicia from the Clubhouse audience to comment on this. What do you have to say about this, Dr. Felicia? Happy Martin Luther King Day, everybody. I have a similar situation at my office. Um, I used to burn sage in my office at the end of every week and I got a complaint from one or more tenants that I was doing cannabis in my office and my landlord told me I had to quit so I found an alternative um, which was uh, uh, I guess an essential oil where I could squirt it and Mm -hmm. hopefully kind of do the same thing but you know when these units are all connected i i mean i agree everyone should have the right to breathe what they want to breathe if you want to breathe clean air or just air you should have that right in your own home and if you want to do cannabis or smoke it whatever you should have the right to do that too so i think a better solution would be for landlords to do something with the um, air conditioning uh, units to hopefully confine things to the person's unit or find some other workaround because everyone deserves to breathe the air that they want to breathe. Well, at the same time, Dr. Felicia, I mean, no, no one's stopping them from breathing air. This is just something that they're smelling. So they're thinking that there's something in the air. It's just a terpene. It's just a smell. It's an aroma. Like, 
Well, cannabis smoking no, more than terpenes, it's, though. It's, it's not. actually it's it's combustion products, of combustion. too. Yes, ma'am. It's yeah. combustion products, too. If you're smoking, it's, it's combustion products, too. Yep. And yeah. Either way, yeah, I, I, I don't know how she is able to sue the city. I, I mean, knock herself out. Uh, I agree with Dr. Felicia. I think this is something that should be a fight with the landlord uh, to be better ventilation systems in their units. Um, what? <laughs> he should be filling the cracks in between the stairs so the smell isn't getting in. These, me these measures should be done first before we're going to the extent of suing each other over this. Um, I, I don't I, think I, she's I, going I, I to like win them. the case. But I, I think the landlord should absolutely step up and try and meet her concerns. She's uh -huh. totally going to win this we, case we, in D.C. In liberal-controlled yeah, D.C., she's 100% going to win this case. Are you kidding uh, so, me? You're 100%. Right. Right. I hope the whole thing is televised because she is going to be representing win? herself, Jason. Because she's liberals are all the ones that try to ban any kind of smoking or any type of carcinogenic and whatever because it's always the liberals that are doing that. What, what do you have to say on this, Chris? I saw your hand up. Who's, who's, who's really like... Right now, Chris, you're cutting in and out. We're getting only like We're one word out of you. Is that better? You're breaking up. Like, you're, like you're breaking up, Selena, bro. bro. Like Justin and Selena. See if you're better. I mean, I think we should talk to Nick Bradley from the audience. Isn't this what he does? Yeah, it is. Nick Bradley. Nick Bradley sells air purification systems, <laughs> which you Nick actually Bradley could. Tell your shit. Come on. Yeah. Which yeah, you, you, you actually could. <laughs> Nick Bradley's not even what, what does having shot. a doctor's recommendation do with regards to this, Jason? Doctor's does recommendation that... just means that you that the doctor has recommended you to be able to use cannabis, but it does not give you the right to impair the quality of air to your neighbor when you're in a, a, a shared uh, shared wall space, whatever the hell they call it. What if you put like a um, a charcoal filter inside your house? Yo, Mandy, I was just gonna say that I got a I got a three foot tall charcoal filter with a can fan. The yeah. whole setup cost me a couple hundred bucks because I smoke blunts in my studio, and my wife does not ever want to smell it outside this door. So I just crack the window and I I kick on my can fan, and and yeah. I'm good to go. It pulls the smoke right out of the air; it disappears. I told my HOA they could go fuck themselves. Yeah, some of you guys know uh, Chanel Lindsay. She's an activist from the East Coast out in, um, in Boston. She actually invented something for dope parents called the billow. But you can smoke into that shit. We do have uh, we Nick Bradley. Nick Bradley has joined us in the clubhouse room. What do you have to say about this, Nick? Come tell us about your products. Shoot so, your shot. Shoot your shot. So Nick. What what uh, what St. Germain was saying is kind of accurate. Um, traditional air purifiers that you can purchase at retail um, remove contaminants down to 10 micron, which are the size of dust particles or pollen um, that necessarily it's it's not going to remove. Um, smoke particles. Smoke particles are still are small enough to get through that and and still bypass that and get out of the um, the space that you're trying to purify. If you're using certified HEPA filtration, which general HEP, uh, air purifiers don't have HEPA filtration, um, HEPA filtration was instituted into like clean room technology. So if you're using HEPA filtration, you're removing down to 0 0.01 micron, which is removing smoke particles. So Air purification can definitely help people that have these type of issues. Jason, I don't know why you haven't called me, but um, yeah, we, we have solutions that will remove not only the odor but all of the smoke particles that are are are. are come 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 install burning. come install one of these units, Nick, and I will I'll video it and I'll be a test case and I'll see if I get the knock on my door from my neighbors saying that I'm smoking weed in my unit. 
What about farts? Well, I, 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 I need you to, uh, I need you to pay for the unit there, there Jason. <laughs> See, I'm not interested in paying for the unit. I'm not interested in paying my HOA. Doctor, I'm just you're like, not yeah. interested in paying. Not interested in paying. Yeah. And, I'm and, good. Good. and, and on that note, let's keep it going. <laughs> she's a spicy redheaded conservative. And um, she's a spicy redheaded conservative with Mayflower roots. And she's also become well known in DC circles over years for cooking up bipartisan excellence downstairs in the kitchen slapping up liberals upstairs on k street up next you know who it is the uh, the founder of panoptic strategies and our very own washington insider gretchen gailey good afternoon my headline is coming from marijuana moment a federal agency urges states to mandate marijuana impaired driving warning labels as national prohibition blocks broader action a federal agency released a report on Thursday that urges states that have legalized marijuana to include warning labels on cannabis products that caution against driving while impaired, noting that federal prohibition is a barrier to nationalizing such consumer education to mitigate public safety risk. The NTSB report re provides an in-depth overview of the crash risk associated with different drugs, including alcohol, and the prevalence of their use among drivers, as well as countermeasures to reduce impairment-related crashes. One countermeasure that NTSB recommended to states across the U.S. is to mandate marijuana labeling to inform consumers about the dangers of driving after consuming cannabis. The board recognized that several legal states do require such labeling, but pointed out that others don't. Because marijuana remains federally prohibited, there is no federal requirement for labeling cannabis, according to the report. As such, NTSB didn't propose a federal labeling requirement, instead saying that states should take some lessons from other states and Canada, where cannabis is legal nationwide to develop warning labels that explicitly discourage impaired driving. Meanwhile, there is a standardized warning label for alcohol in the U.S. that's mandated under a federal law enacted in 1988. And while evidence suggests that alcohol labeling had little effect on behavior change, some authors have suggested that even small effects can be meaningful if a product is widely used. A recent study found that among the 31 U.S. states with medical cannabis programs all have some labeling requirements, and 26 have some requirement for labeling concerning impairment, but not necessarily driving impairment. The report compared marijuana labeling rules in marijuana in Oklahoma as examples of the policy disconnect. In Maryland, medical cannabis products are required to be labeled with a warning about impaired driving. In Oklahoma, the state-mandated label only talks about risks of consumption for youth and pregnant or breastfeeding women. An NTSB analysis of laws in the 50 states, the District of Columbia, and the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico identified 23 jurisdictions where cannabis sales are legal, but where cannabis label requirements are not required or are inadequate, according to the report. This includes 12 jurisdictions that have no driving-related label requirements, four that have label requirements for only certain cannabis products, and seven whose labeling requirements do not explicitly warn against driving after cannabis use. Although it is not clear whether the inclusion of driving-related warnings on cannabis labels would influence driver behaviors or reduce crash risk, a recent national survey found that drivers are less likely to perceive driving after cannabis use to be dangerous compared to driving after alcohol use. Additionally, the absence of such labeling, especially when alcohol and many prescription and OTC drugs do include warnings about driving, could lead users to believe that cannabis does not impair driving. The NTSB concludes that including driving-related warnings on cannabis products similar to those on alcohol and many prescription and OTC drugs 
would increase awareness of the risk of cannabis impaired driving. Therefore, the NTSB recommends that the District of Columbia, the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, and the 21 states where cannabis use is legal but driving-related cannabis warning labels are not required or are inadequate require a warning label on cannabis products advising users not to drive after cannabis use to its impairing effects. Uh, now, I already know what many of you are going to say because we've heard the arguments many times that cannabis has no effect on your driving or it makes you only go five miles per hour. To me, this is not a battle to die for. If they want to put a label on, go for it. It will make the folks who are prohibitionists uh, have to fight a little harder. This is not a battle to lose on. If they want a label, go for it. This is Gretchen for Hyatt 9 News. Gretchen, I, I agree. agree with you on that, Gretchen. Yeah. This, is not the, this is not the battle to die on the sword on. But it is stupid. Sword to fall on the hill. Yeah. The hill to die on. There's lots yeah. of dumb, stupid stuff. But whatever, I'm, this will make prohibitionists happier. This will help people see that we're trying to educate, mitigate risk. You know, this is what people care about. At least policy makers care about. Give yeah, them I mean, this and take something else some extra time when you're driving. And, uh -huh. and at the same time, too, all these warning labels, their print is so small. It's not like anybody that actually needs to read them can actually read them in the first place. <laughs> you ever, you ever see the warning, you ever see the warning labels on European cigarettes? Oh, yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's right big. It's right big in the front. It's their whole package. It's the whole front package. Yeah, it's like a nasty, like, tarred up pictures, lung. saying this, 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 this is from a nine-year smoker. This is what your lungs look like. And they still and smoke. It's, it's the whole Germany. package. It's the and whole front package of the product. Wow. <laughs> Kids smoking in Germany. Keep it, keep it going. Like, Gretchen, I do agree with you though. I think this is a um, this is a compromise that can be made. And if the uh, the anti prohibitionists uh, want something out of it, this is an easy bargaining chip for them. Like, yo, we'll give you this if you give us. That. Yeah, but that's the thing is we can't just give them this without getting something back. Get something back. Like yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine with giving them this if they're going to say that they're not going to go um, after THC caps or THC taxes. That right. that to well, me that 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 to me makes sense. Yeah, that's ridiculous. This is this is a fair that that's a fair trade. Well, either yeah. way, I mean, again, as the NTSB stated, none of this really matters because it's federally illegal and they can't make anyone do anything because there's no national exactly. program. But. Once they, they say, you know, the it. states are going to the state, the state regulators are going to look at something or review or come back to or all of that good stuff. I think I think mm -hmm. it's it would be an easy win to give the other side. It would totally, totally agree. It's all about give and take. Give and yes. take. Yes. Yes. Thank you guys for that. Thank you, Gretchen. Flying into LAX and you want to taste some of the best weed in the world, then stop by LAXCC, the closest dispensary to LAX, located 8332 Lincoln Boulevard and open from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. seven days a week. Always make LAXCC your first stop when you touch down in L.A. and score like a winner. And don't forget to tell them I sent you and mention you'd like to get high at nine for 10% off your full order. The thoughts and opinions and general overall shade on High and Nine News are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker or its followers. The statements made do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and our speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish a fiduciary relationship, and our sponsors do not imply or constitute any endorsement by us or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of any speaker on stage. If you're an easily offended person, this show is probably not for you. And again, maybe your neighbor should smoke some weed.
Oh, yeah. Up next. He's a fellow dope dad who decided to trade in his issue gun and badge for a blunt and a notepad. When he's not on stage with us reading the weed news, this former NorCal-based cop is a security consultant at CC Security Solutions, dedicating each day to improving each and every one of our chances of survivability. And rather than waiting on safe banking to do what it does up, up there, he says, stay strapped, my friends, stay strapped. <laughs> Come to the stage next, y'all know who it is, Chris Eggers. Rico, Rico always with the intros, man. Um, article today, is, it's, it's a bit of a long article, uh, so I trimmed it down and, and uh, I'm going to share it today. It's out of SF Gate. Headline is crisis mode, failing pot farms are killing this California's town's economy. This is about Garberville. Uh, not long ago, Garberville could have held the title of California's busiest towns without a spot, without a stoplight. Thousands of tourists filled the small town restaurants and bars, uh, spending the day uh, looking at the beautiful towering red redwood trees nearby and the avenues of the giants. Hundreds of cannabis farms in the surrounding hills of Humboldt County brought millions of dollars to the local economy. Just FYI, they love to refer uh, in this article cannabis farms as pot farms. Laura Last uh, Lester said, quote, the economy here has crashed. She's the director of operations for the Southern Humboldt Business and Visitors Bureau. The economy in Southern Humboldt is in crisis mode, and 90% of that crisis mode is because of the cannabis industry. Garberville's um, is the most obvious sign of an economic collapse is that the, the surrounding Emerald Triangle, a three-county region that includes Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity counties for decades, this area was cannabis-grown capital. Um, and there's a lot of quotes from various farmers. So I'm just going to skip ahead. Um, one, actually one quote I wanted to share first was from a local natural food store owner, because the trickle effect here is, is, you know, pretty significant to say the least. Um, we relied on so many cannabis farmers and people in the industry to keep our storefronts full in businesses in town. Um, a store owner said, it's hard to see where we are going to go and, uh, get that from, here on out. The New Yorker once described Garberville as having rough edges of a gold rush town with peace flags and hemp lattes. Wendy Kornberg, the owner of a small canvas farm 20 minutes down a dirt road of Garberville, said that all the surrounding pot farmers either have gone up or are on the verge of bankruptcy. Quote, everyone is struggling. We all had to raise, uh, we all had to raid our kids' college funds, she said. Um, she said that these farm failures have drained the town's economy. She says, quote, I grew up in Garverville from 1977 until I graduated high school in 1995, and I've never seen so many empty storefronts. The whole side of one of the streets is just empty storefronts. It's a little bit terrifying when you look at it from that viewpoint. Bushnell, the county supervisor who represents that part of uh, the county, admitted that the county government could have done more to support local industry. Quote, could we have done better? Yes. Could the state have done better? Absolutely. And you know, I kind of want to open it up for comments. Again, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of people in the audience and certainly uh, our correspondents that can shed some light and opinions on this. But ultimately, this article touches on the trickle effect of uh, the failing cannabis farms. There's a bunch of different reasons, according to this SFGate article. I'll let everyone read it and kind of have that debate. But the trickle effect is real. Uh, businesses are closing up. People are struggling. And this is just one use case. So I really appreciate that SFGate uh, wrote about it and in such length. Um, but it's a, it's unfortunately a great use case of point two of when things go wrong and how it affects multiple people across the food chain. Um, so I'd like to hear from the correspondents now and certainly people in the audience and on Clubhouse uh, to hear what your thoughts are. 
obviously a lot of uh, folks here have friends, uh, colleagues, and other folks that they know that are um, you know, in the area that are absolutely affected by this. And then again, the supply chain and how that affects uh, other folks, other license types, other businesses, jobs, and economies uh, up and down the food chain is, is very significant. So I wanted to share that today. I'm really glad that you brought this story um, to us today, Chris. I came across it also, and it was something that um, I really had a lot of feelings around. The city of Garberville specifically is so rich with cannabis history. It's probably one of the strongest cannabis, you know, foundations, so to speak. When you go, if you haven't been to the town of Garberville, when you pull off the freeway, there's literally like some little stores. Um, there's a couple of tiny little restaurants, coffee shops. I think there's one gas station um, and two hotels. And one of them is a Best Western. And the other one is this like vintage hotel next to a old movie theater that's been there for forever. Last I heard, um, Humboldt's finest owners and founders purchased that theater and that antique hotel and were going to refurbish it and make it an Airbnb for cannabis. But um, it's been a while. Yeah, one of the images in the article is exactly what you just described. Hey, Mandy, um, do you think that this uh, the, the roots of this issue can be tracked to five years ago? Um, the lift on the cap on uh, uh, on cultivation size. Absolutely. Outgoing. Oh, you know what? Hold on. We, we have we have Stephen in the clubhouse audience with us, who is actually up there in the Emerald Trine. No, gross. Sorry, Stephen. What do you have to say about this? I know you can provide some some in depth light on this topic. Uh, how many uh, points do you want me to hit on this topic? Uh, just just All just on. pick your favorite two. My favorite too. Well, yeah, no, our local uh, economy is crashing. Everything is uh, down 70% as to what it was two years ago. Uh, that goes from our, our local um, health food store closing down. It goes to our local hardware store. Um, <laughs> that I, I can go in there at any point of any day of the week when it used to be hustle and bustle people building things, free people spending money around here. Um, uh, and there's three people standing around with their arms crossed wondering, you know, what the heck they're going to do. And I'm wondering how long the business owner can continue paying their paychecks with them not making any money and still stay open. Um, as far as me as a cannabis cultivator, uh, yeah, I just spoke to one of my good friends yesterday. He said, Stephen, can't do it anymore. I want to, but I can't. And, you know, uh, I wasn't able to afford my, my state licensing this year um, because, well, <laughs> hello, folks. Here we are. And I've been providing, you know, I, I, I know a good portion of Orange County with their cannabis for the last 22 fucking years. And here I am. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it's terrifying. It's terrible. Uh, the only people who can do something about it, though, are the consumers. Um, and you need to educate yourself as to how this cannabis that you're smoking is being produced and who gives a fuck and who doesn't, you know, because uh, we gave a, we give a fuck. We have given a fuck and we won't stop giving a fuck and I won't stop growing cannabis. Friggin' I will still be here on the side of the road in Trinity County with my fingers in the air saying, fuck you. Test me. Test me. Why don't you arrest me? Because you know what? That's how we did it back in the day. And that's how we're going to continue to do it. Because you know what? 
somebody's got to get this fucking community some good weed. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, thank you so much I for that, Stephen. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Stephen. I recently spoke to um, some friends um, who are just outside of Garberville after the earthquake, checking in with them and seeing how things were going. Um, and, you know, they paint this horrible picture that everyone is referring to. Um, and it's sad. And for those who don't know kind of uh, the geography of Humboldt County, I mean, Garberville is the first major town that you enter uh, when you come into Southern Humboldt. And they're just telling me how everything is closed down. Um, and Rico, you ask if this has anything to do with uh, the cap. I think, I think the cap in place from the start was the issue. I don't think lifting it became the issue. I think they had people's hands tied in the beginning because I know my friends who could not um, get a license. Their their farm was much larger than what the cap allowed and trying but, to figure out ways but, to make that work didn't work for them. And honestly, they they told me we're going to have our, our licensed farm and then we're going to have our other farm that is going Objection. to fund the licensing that we have to do and then trying to keep up with all the different regs. I mean, I don't think it's just one specific issue. But, uh, I think but, it, that would have slowed down the corporatization that would have slowed down all these mega farms from coming in with bottomless yeah, pockets, but canceling out all I hear, the small I hear, I, I understand the impetus of why they did it, but I don't think it helped a lot of farmers. I think it You're truly correct. tied the hands of farmers. I don't think it no. did what it was intended to do. No. It leveled the playing field, sorry, but, but I, it I, As somebody who's been in the game over 33 years. Not from the folks that I hear. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. What, what, what I, are you I, saying, I Matthew? This happen. I, 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 I watched it happen. I watched legalization happen. I watched Gavin Newsom and uh, lie to everyone about the acre cap and about the lack of vertical integration. I lost all, all nearly all of my money the moment vertical integration came in because of of what was happening in the industry. I've, I've been watching farms fold since Raw Garden put up their 20 acres in, in, in San Luis Obispo or Santa Barbara County, wherever it is, you know? So I just think that you're, you're wrong about that. At the same time, what I think a lot of people aren't uh, taking into account here is number one, change is the only constant in the universe. Nothing stays static. Secondarily, the only reason, the only reason that Humboldt, Trinity, and Mendo were the epicenter of cannabis growing is because they had not enough money for law enforcement and people were hidden in the woods. And the moment legalization came, anybody at all who who instead of deciding how they're going to live their life and not allowing input from the outside world is going to see that it's not going to stay up there because the moment legalization comes, now you can be right next to a freeway. Anybody who's right next to a freeway and near a major city is going to have so much less cost on every single item. So the way trucking works is like if you need a, a double uh, uh, a double yarder of, of gravel, the gravel in a gigantic double dump truck is going to cost you about 20 bucks. However, it's going to be $400 an hour for that truck from the moment he leaves to fill up and goes and drops off your gravel and goes back. So if I'm in downtown Ukiah, I can get gravel for 450 bucks. If I'm up in Laytonville, gravel runs are going to cost me $2,000. The same for water, the same for soil, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. And, and we, saw, we saw an echo of this in a different way with logging. You know, thousands yep. upon thousands, tens of thousands exactly. of people moved to the Emerald Triangle from primarily from Arkansas and Missouri in the Ozarks where they cut all those trees down. And there was a thriving industry destroying the ecology of the North Coast. And once they mined all of the money out of it, all of a sudden all the mills shut down and, and there was mass unemployment and everybody was mad. And they were like, bring back the mills, keep cutting down the trees. We need our jobs. And the thing is, we as humans have to continually evolve. And when you see that the terrain around you has changed, instead of, you know, rooting yourself down and planting an anchor in the ground and saying, this is the way it's going to be, God damn it, and I'm not going to change. Well, life's going to leave you by. You need to see that the world around you is changing and you need to then evolve and change yourself if you want to stay stay uh, um, 
involved stay in the game. Stay in it. Yes, stay sir. And, and, and the thing is, a, a lot game. of a lot of cultivators grew okay weed in okay strains that would get you high and would taste all right, but has nothing to do with what's popular in the market. And they thought they were doing a great job because their weed sold it all because it was illegal. And a lot of people have fluffed their own pillows and, and kind of believe their own bullshit instead of really doing the work. Like, dude, I'm a 50-year-old man, man. Most 50-year-old men are getting close to retirement, just want to go home and hang out with their kids. And I have kids, man. I got hobbies. I got shit I want to do. But you know what I do? I go to sessions in, in Oakland. I go to events in LA. I fly my ass around to Vegas and all these different places. I hang out with young kids smoking way more hash than sometimes I'd even like to so that I can remain active in the game, know what's current and, and popular now, what, know what's coming on in the future. And there's a lot of people who just were like, you know, what? F people in LA, F people in the big city. I just grow weed up here. I'm going to live off the grid. I'm going to do my thing. And now they're reaping, they're reaping the, the, the reward of, of not being involved in the greater cannabis industry. They're reaping the ward of their complacency. And, and it's, it's an unpopular opinion, but it's, it's my opinion. The ship has left the station is so, what you're saying, huh? We, we, we have Stephen to say one more thing. Stephen, 20 seconds or less, what do you got? Well, I don't think it's a matter of complacency. You try to run a farm and get out to all these sessions and all that stuff and still have Oh, I did it, bro. I did money. it. I, 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 I lived in Mendo. I lived in Mendo and, and, and drove my ass to L.A. with my weed. I lived in Mendo and drove my ass to Oakland. And I'm not saying you, Stephen. I'm not saying right. – I don't know you, sir. What I'm saying is yeah, no, 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 a majority no. I, of I the farmers in Northern California. I, I get you, man. I, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of that was when 64 hit, like, you know um, – we were just blindsided. Um, yes, sir. And, uh, you know, I, I get the whole uh, thing of, of marketing yourself. It's very difficult to market yourself, run a farm and family and, right. you know, all that good stuff. And it's not the easiest for everybody. Um, those of us who have been able to do it should, I don't know, maybe uh, say, hey, you know, no, I need to produce more cannabis. Let's go ahead and uh, hire on some of these farms Steven. that are uh, – legendary and growing cannabis steven steven thank you thank you very much for that bro we got to keep it moving right now we appreciate all of your input uh on this and and thank you uh we're very short on time and thank you thank you very much chris for for covering the story today but coming up next he's a cannabis wizard doing his damnness to continue the work of the merry pranksters and the brotherhood of eternal love alongside this hogwarts phd and tripping balls he's also the co-host of what's good a cannabis flower hash and review show and he's also a host of Radio Free Earth podcast, and he boasts over 33 years in the game for sales, genetics, and cultivation. That's right. He is the immortal Transylvanian count himself. Oh, yeah. Matthew St. Germain. Happy Monday. Thanks, brother Jason. I, uh, I'm trying to not crack up during my uh, intro. I still haven't. And I'd like, just like to say to Steve and others, like, legal cannabis, man, it, it drove me broke, too. I'm, I'm busted. I'm broke. So it's not like I'm sitting here on a pile of money. At all. I'm just trying to uh, what, what I find is when I make mistakes or fail, like I have in legal cannabis, I like to be real with myself. And I just think that more people in the in the cultivation side of the game need to really sit down, look in the mirror and be real with themselves and not tell themselves a story about what's going on. So on to my story. I think this is a really important story and something that blew my mind. Products with THCO acetate could cause E-Valley lung disease. New study warns. Remember the 2019-2020 outbreak of Ivali lung disease that hospitalized thousands of people and killed nearly 70 people? I do. It nearly ruined the vapor company that I was director of sales for. What sickened people at the time was vitamin E acetate, an additive found in unlicensed vape cartridges. Now, a new study published in the Journal of Medical Toxicology warns about THCO acetate, a potent psychoactive cannabinoid derived from hemp, saying it could 
potentially causing valley lung disease when vaped or smoked. Products with THCO acetate, which has not been tested for safety in humans and is believed to be three times more potent than Delta 9 THC, whatever that means, are being advertised online and sold on the black market. THCO acetate has similar structural properties with vitamin E acetate per the report, and that was the thing that was causing the problem. Both substances, when heated in a vape pen, produce a highly potent lung toxicant called ketine, a likely cause of the E-Valley lung disease. The study authors noted that the toxicity can be acute or chronic, depending on the dose and duration. California Normal strongly advises consumers to avoid hemp products with psychoactive cannabinoids, especially novel ones stronger than THC, whose safety is particularly suspect, Cal Normal says. CBD products may be safely obtained from state-registered industrial hemp product manufacturers, whose products must be tested for safety and cannabinoid content. Under state law, hemp products should have a batch number and label as well as a website, QR code, or barcode that links it to lab results providing the level of cannabinoids, total THC, and presence of contaminants. The results will also have the address and phone number of the manufacturer. Violations can be reported to the CDPH, which is a California health uh, authority. Um, I think this is um, a, a powerful warning that we all should listen to, and I think it really points to the fact that we don't even know what's going on with these vapor products. Um, even the ones that are claimed to be tested contain a bunch of stuff. We just have no clue what happens when you you put it in the human lungs. And what I, what I noticed personally, just a personal, from me, for most vapor cartridges, even high-quality rosin carts, when, the moment I start hitting them, they feel like they're burning my my throat. And I can't I can't maintain hitting a vapor cart for a few days or my throat's done. Maybe I'm the princess in the pee. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about this. Same thing, man. Well, I'm really glad that you brought this story forward today. Um, THCO is something that I became acquainted with about three years ago uh, at MJ BizCon. And I think that, um, you know, the the excitement around that particular cannabinoid is the concept that it can be an aphrodisiac. Um, and um, actually, I think a company out in California called Gold Drop came out with uh -huh. their own version of the THCO um, and brought it forth at MJ BizCon a couple of years ago. It was really interesting. Definitely strong as Delta 9. I don't know if it's stronger in my opinion, maybe, I don't know. But to me, it definitely gave like a, a really big head, head high for sure. I work with various vape clients and this is a huge issue for them um, because they want to be good, responsible actors. They want to make products um, that are safe for their clients. Um, and people really need to be mindful. They need to speak to someone about how to vape, what temperature things should be at, what quality of their, of the, uh, technology that they're using, their pens, the materials that go into everything. Um, I know, and I don't know if Dr. Felicia's out there. We always talk about how, you know, pot has never killed anyone. Well, we're doing a lot of different things to cannabis nowadays, especially how we're consuming it. Um, and we need to be mindful and careful um, Ori Valley is definitely happening again. I've said this before, people don't buy it, but I mean, they stopped looking for a valley when COVID started. So the CDC and people out there are not looking out on our behalf. And this is something we need to regulate. We need to look at, we need to police it in our own industry and really be careful of what we are asking people to do. Uh, because as much research as there has been in the past, there's not nearly enough for these high concentrates and things that people are taking into their lungs. We going to take time to do these studies it does it definitely does it definitely does and this this just goes to all those little gas station markets and head shops everywhere selling delta eight all across the country this is basically the same thing thco hhc all that stuff and it's only a matter of time until there's a paper study like this because the prohibitionists are out to get you
Yes, indeed. Now, keeping it moving, this Northern California-based pop product extraordinaire is a serial canapreneur known for blazing trails and doobies alike at Camilla, Canagram, Canamami.org, and the Women's Canna Awards competition in an Emerald Cups, Emerald Cup edibles judge that knows no boundaries forever searching the globe for the perfect cannabis and psychedelic edible experiences. She's a restless crusader for female entrepreneurship on a mission to show the world cannabis, motherhood, and executive lifestyle do go together and come to the stage bringing us home today. It is Mandy Tingler. Thanks, guys. Today's article comes from Stanford Advocate out of Connecticut. The headline reads, Connecticut cannabis customers were surprised by prices. We analyzed the cost versus other states. Here we go, folks. Prices at Connecticut's newly opened cannabis recreational dispensaries are higher than prices at dispensaries in surrounding states, according to Connecticut Insider Analysis of Data. On the first day of legal cannabis sales, many customers took to social media to decry what they saw as prices higher in Connecticut than those comparable to products in Massachusetts, amongst other states. Finally, now I can spend $35 on a pre-roll that won't even get you high, one user said, commenting on an Instagram post by Governor Ned Lamont. But the prices right now are blowing my mind, absolutely blowing my mind, another user said on Reddit. Kevin Cranford, founder and owner of Canaconet, which he described as a, quote, cannabis lifestyle brand celebrating the unique cannabis stylings of Connecticut. He said he heard from many friends and followers about what they felt were high prices on the first day of legal sales. The perception that prices were higher may have contributed to a muted first day of sales. The Department of Consumer Protection said that the first day of sales resulted in $359,130 in revenue for the seven recreational dispensaries that were open. You're going to be fighting with a legacy market where people have known where to get the product for cheaper and God knows for how long, Cranford said. The prices are higher than most places around here. They're higher than Massachusetts, which is right up the, right up the street for many of us. We can just go there. A review of prices online as of January 11th shows higher price points for Connecticut for almost every cannabis product. A 100 milligram package of cannabis gummies at Fine Federal Dispensary in Stanford, for example, costs $40. And for those of you who are not sure what California gummies cost, it's around 20. So this is almost double. Similar products also containing 100 milligrams of THC, the substance in cannabis that gets a consumer high, costs $25 at Fine Fettles Dispensary in Rowley, Massachusetts. The same as the Rise Dispensary in Bloomfield, New Jersey, and $35 at Aura in Central Falls, Rhode Island. A 3.5 gram container of flour had an online listed price at $50 at most Connecticut dispensaries as of January 11th. Similar product might cost less than $5 in Massachusetts, but as, but as much more or, or more in Rhode Island. Prices on THC-laden vape cartridges oops, uh, were about $55 for half grams and $100 or more for one gram in most Connecticut dispensaries, which is on par with Rhode Island. Massachusetts, however, a similar five gram vape cartridge might cost $30 with a one gram running less than 70. Adam Wood, president of the Connecticut Cannabis Chamber of Commerce said prices will fluctuate as supply and demand change. There are currently only nine licensed dispensaries in Connecticut authorized to sell recreational cannabis, seven of which opened for business on January 10th and four cannabis growers. You're going to go from four cultivators to potentially, depending on how things shake out, 
30 or 40 plus cultivators. That's a major change, Wood said. I think retail will also generate competition and competitive pricing. A limited number of cannabis retailers and producers allowed prices to be set at a higher level than they might be, according to Cranford. If you have a built-in monopoly, you can put the price point higher and see if people will move for it. And then if you own most of the market, you can go down as you need to, he said. They're just going to have to keep on experimenting with it. Cranford said that the higher prices may only be temporary. Prices will drop as the market begins to settle, as they did in other states. Oregon had a couple of snafus early, but now the pricing is where customers need it to be, he said. Connecticut's just not there yet. All right, folks, I know we're at the end of the show, but Connecticut, what are you doing with pricing? Anybody have any other comments on this? This is Mandy for Hyatt 9. I mean, I thought people in Connecticut had plenty of disposable income. <laughs> Truth. They don't want to spend I mean, it, though, Jay, not on weed. Is that right? Apparently. Apparently so. They don't want to spend it on weed. Well, maybe that's because they have a lack of quality there. And, Hallelujah. Um, and I just want to know, a show of hands, does anybody remember the last time that uh, California weed was, you know, 50 to $70 an eight? <laughs> right now. I forgot right those now, days. Nope. Nope, I can hook you up, dude. <laughs> I got some weed. I got some weed for fifty and seventy bucks an eighth all day. Yeah, there's an abundance <laughs> of 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 mylar brands in the bay that are that are rocking fifty to seventy five dollar eighths of weed nonstop. Still, it's just Beautiful. you know you gotta have the marketing, you gotta have the proper genetics. I hope it's moving. I see it. I see it moving. I see people selling pounds for forty five hundred bucks all day. I don't know if you all heard of Don Murphos. Don Murphos is cracking out forty two to forty five hundred dollar wholesale pounds, and they're selling all their shit for seventy bucks an eighth plus. Are they craft like small batch? They're just a curation brand. They just they just have a a, a real strong uh, social media presence, and they have a real good reputation for curating perfect cannabis every time. Like every one of their bags is perfect. Every one of them smokes perfect, smells perfect, looks perfect. Uh, it, it it is doable, but it's going to be a smaller and smaller percentage of the overall market for sure. We do have we do have Michelle from the Clubhouse audience from Boston Leaf. What do you have to talk to us about on this, Michelle? Just wanted to say that everybody knows that the best cannabis in Massachusetts you find in Maine, and I guess Connecticut is going with the same thing because my goodness, fifty dollars. That shit. Sorry, excuse my language, yeah. but you know. <laughs> oh yes, thank you very much, Michelle. Exactly. I try to tell you guys, Maine has, apparently has is the spot. Maine is, is crushing the spot as far as Maine quality wins. cannabis on the East Coast. Shout out to Maine. Shout out to Maine. NorCal East. Man. NorCal East. Man, that's, I mean, <laughs> maybe SoCal East. Maybe. Maine, no. Maine, no. Oh, man, that was good. That was good. Run that ad. Thank you, guys, everyone. Run yes. that ad, Adam. Want to grow some of the best weed in the world? Then you must start with the best genetics in the so world. Go to www.dnagenetics.shop to order regular feminized or autoflower beans. All of your favorite DNA genetics cultivars, such as Kosher Kush, Skywalker Kush, and oh yeah, Chocolate Truffle Shuffle. Boasting more cannabis awards for their award winning genetics than any other company in the world. Remember to go to www.dnagenetics.sh to see why our terps don't lie. Thank you all for getting high at nine with us every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out. Thank you all to our audience and supporters. We appreciate you tuning in daily and enjoying 
listening to the insanity that is the developing cannabis industry. Thank you to all of our haters for talking about us and always thinking about us because we have the most immaculate pieces of property rent-free inside of your head. You should see these places sometimes. You're always welcome to come over. Huge thank you to our sponsors. I Spire, LAXCC, True Classic, Wizard Trees, and DNA Genetics for helping us keep everything rolling. Thank you to our correspondents for being absolutely amazing, and thank you to Cannabis for giving us a reason to do this all. Thank you to Cloud9 Media Partners, House of Fuego, and Zaza Simone Brown holding us down in Clubhouse for helping us create this amazing space within cannabis. And thank you all for tuning in and getting high at nine with us. It's America's number one daily cannabis news show. Running Happy out. Market.